Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. So loads, loads to cram into the next two and a half hours. So let's get started with my first guest, a man who enjoys significant global experience at the hands of three of the great masters of the trading profession. Cricket head in France, once a guest on this show, of course, the late, great John Dunlop, champion trainer in this country and a man who held all before him in California, Richard Mandela. With that schooling, how could he fail? The good news is he hasn't. He's really succeeded in his five years with a license ever since he won with Slunavrat in 2014 at Newcastle. He's not looked back and he's now garnering himself a significant reputation, most importantly, as a good trainer of a good horse. He trains in the base where the great dancing brave was trained, Amanda Perrett's at Coomland Stables at Pulbra, and he joins us on the crest of a wave because Dan Soteria was the winner of the Grosser Price Bayerisches, easy for you to say, in Munich last weekend in the hands of Jamie Spencer. He is, of course, the French-born, British-based David Menuisier. David, welcome to Luck on Sunday. Thank you very much. Good morning. Very flattering introduction. And everything is absolutely correct. You it do is. come here on the on the crest of a wave with that with that Group One success under your belt. But it's not a bolt out of the blue. You've been you're training these horses to run well for the for the last couple of years at the, at the highest yeah. level. How do you feel about yourself as a trainer now? Um, not any different, really. <laughs> to be fair, we're always trying to do the best uh, with the 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 cards we are dealt with. You know. So yeah, no, it, it was a fantastic achievement, obviously, and. Uh, we knocked on the door a few times last year with uh, Thundering Blue. Uh, so before it happens, you always a little bit, um, you know, you always wonder if it's going to happen to you or not. Yeah. You know? And when it happens, it's, you take it as a relief and obviously uh, joy, but relief. And uh, it's good to get the, mon the group on monkey off your back, I'd say. It's right on your back at the moment, right over your shoulder. Jamie Spencer sitting motionless. If you just uh, take a peek behind you. This must have been a lovely sight to see. Yeah, I mean, it was it was fantastic because the horse wasn't proven on soft ground, and uh, the ground was absolutely beautiful. You know, until uh, until Saturday afternoon, when they they got a massive downpour uh, for about an hour, and they rolled the track actually to try and, and dry it out as much as they could. And by Sunday morning, it was gorgeous again. And <laughs> we got a massive downpour an hour before the race. And then we were worried. We were worried. But the horse was just too good that day, really. And if you're a trainer in your position, you've got the horse perfectly prepared. How important is it to have somebody of Jamie's experience on your side? It's huge. It's huge. And he absolutely loves the horse. And, and uh, since the first day he, he sat on him um, in, in the group three at Sandown, he absolutely loves the horse, so it gives you a, a lot of confidence. So it does you give you a lot of confidence. Feel like you're a team going into battle, of really together as well. Of course, you don't need to 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 sit for hours making plans. You just keep it simple. He knows how good the horse is, and you know we just tidy up the details before the race. But that's about it. So what's the plan with the horse now? The plan is to go to Australia. Yeah, he's been invited for the Cox Plate. Um, since he won in Munich and uh, so it's pretty much the plan and he's, he's now owned by Australian Bloodstock and uh, so it's been the plan for a long time so I'm, I'm also pleased that uh, all went according to plan we've had the Munich race in mind since uh, probably early May um, to get the invite for the Cox Plate which is exactly what happened so. 
I said you were a trainer with with international aspirations. You're also a trainer with great international experience. But there's very few people who've had so much experience of France and the United States who would think it's a good idea from a business point of view to set up training racehorses in in Great Britain. But but you did. Why? Because of the weather. <laughs> <laughs> because of the food. <laughs> Now, look, I mean, I worked for John Dunlop for six years. I literally fell in love with English racing, you know, throughout the six years I was there. And I couldn't really see any point um, going anywhere else, you know. And uh, I left France uh, as I worked in America before joining uh, John Dunlop. I thought the French had, had for, forgotten me, you know. And by example, one day we had a run, we had a runner on on, uh, on the 14th of July. It was times up uh, for John Dunlop, and he, he ran second in the in the group two that day, uh, ridden by Ryan Moore. And actually, all the journalists would come and interview me in English. They literally thought I was English. So at that point, it it actually, you know, pushed me to stay in England really than go back to France because. Uh, Everybody um, forgot me, really. So all your fellow countrymen had turned their backs on you and you found (laughs) refuge in in West Sussex. Pretty much, pretty much. Was John Dunlop the most important influence on your career? I think it was Cricket Head. I think it was Cricket Head. She she turned a boy into a man, I think. Um, it was fantastic, and, and you know the first few months I spent there, I still remember all the li- all the little things she was uh, telling me, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna get a bit uh, emotional now, but yeah, she's she's like your second mother to me. She's a she's an amazing lady and an amazing trainer, a pioneer for for women in sport. Um, uh, tell me a little bit about how your relationship with her began? Look, I was uh, studying biology. Uh, I've tried to get, to get into vet school in France, which is a very hard uh, school to get into. And I missed out by a few points. And uh, my mother always told me, you need to, you need to have a degree before you, you, you follow your dreams. I wanted to be a trainer since the age of seven or eight. But my mother pushed me to, to get a degree, so I did a degree in biology and genetics. And as soon as I got that degree, I was 22, I think, um, I turned to my mom and I said, look, uh, now I want to do what, what I was born for. Mm. <laughs> and um, she said, OK, fine, just go and do it. And, you know, even though they were breeders, they were small breeders, we didn't really have any strong connections with anybody. And uh, so I just picked up the phone, I ran Cricket Head, uh, because she had the reputation of giving people a chance. And um, she said, my door is wide open, come and join us whenever you wish. And that's what I did. That's, a, that's As fantastic. simple as that. And you had no real knowledge of, of, of her personally before? No, then. no, none whatsoever. I mean, that speaks volumes for her, that she'd always always give any young person a chance. She, she's a, truly an amazing person. It, it, you know, a lot of people come across as great on TV or, you know, in interviews and whatever. She genuinely is a, a fantastic person. Her heart is bigger than her. What do, you think, what do you think you learned about your craft from her? Everything. It's, it's, it's getting the feeling for <clears throat> horses, you know. And uh, 
it's very hard to um, to express. Uh, it's just being on her side and try and see the things that she sees and feel the the feel the, the things that she feels, and um, it's very it's a very hard question to answer. Uh, I think it's an artistic profession, isn't it? And and um, you need to kind of manage your eyes and ears and you know it it takes a long time it's like you know turning a, a horse into a very good horse you need time or turning wine into a great wine it's the same sort of thing you need to be rubbing your shoulders you know next to people like like, like them because they have an intuition for for what they see you could you could stand there all morning and not see you know what they see and and i think that's she did open my eyes and ears on 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 a training environment and and get to get into the brains of 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 the animals that she trained cuz she cuz she's so intuitive and so yes. and so and so instinctive and so patient as as well you said yeah. she she turned a boy into a man yeah i'm i'm intrigued to know exactly what you mean by that hey look uh, i i joined her when i was 22 23 so obviously you're you're still a you know you're you're a rookie, aren't you? And and you have a simplistic view, I think, about life. And basically, you know, she, uh, you know, it's a hard task, you know, to to be assistant trainer when 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 you're 22 and you deal with people that are 60 years of age, head lads, and uh, they don't make your life um, easy. Mm. But she never kind of interfered. She just let you. You know, find your find your way and find your position. You know, despite being assistant, it wasn't. You, look, guys, this guy is assistant. He's got all the powers, so you just listen to him. She kind of let you, you know, do your own, make your own place. You know, and earn it. She, you know, she gave me the chance to join the yard, which was massive. So then it was a case of, yeah, you know, find find your own path. If you really want to command those guys earn it. And I think you, it makes you grow up an awful lot. How long did you spend with her? Two and a half years. And just from the way you're speaking, if you could, if you could go back and have two and a half years again, it sounds like it would be those years. Definitely, yeah, definitely, yeah. So what made you leave France at that point? Um... After a year and a half there, I wanted to go to America just for just for a work experience. And so she, I said, can, can you help me to, to go there for a couple of months? She said, yeah, of course. And uh, she actually rang Neil Drysdale, uh, who trained at Hollywood Park. And um, Neil just, uh, just had an assistant um, uh, for, for the winter, so he couldn't, he couldn't uh, take me on. So um, it was a week before the Breos Cup 2003. And obviously Richard Mandela won four races that day. And he, he trained for the Wertheimer family. And um, so the next day, the very next day, I said to Cricket, do you know Richard Mandela? Do you know him well? She said, yeah, of course I do. You know, he used to train Kotashan that I trained before. And so, you know, I know him a fair bit. I said, what about going to, to him? And she said, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to give him a ring. So she gave him a ring, and he said, yeah, okay, no problem. 
So it took me on for a couple of months, and then I came back to France after three months. Um, in that time, obviously, we still had the four Breers Cup winners in, in a barn of 40, which was you know, 10% Breers Cup winners. A month <laughs> That's of it. insane. Isn't it, it? it was insane. And two of them were placed as well, you know, in the Breers Cup, uh, Minister Eric and um, another one I can't remember the name of. But it was fantastic. You know, six Breers Cup horses in, in a barn of 40. And we were preparing pleasantly perfect for the Dubai World Cup that he won. And just before Richard left to fly to Dubai, he said, I miss you already. And that was kind of flabbergasting for somebody like him to say that to me. But anyway, I flew back to France. And at the end of the year, I think I remember it all my life, but I was having a haircut. And I got a missed call from Richard Mandela. And I thought, what does he want, you know? And um, so I rang him back when I was done. It didn't take too long, obviously. <laughs> but uh, I rang him back, and, um, and he said, look, I want you to come and work for me. Um, my assistant has just left. Uh, I want to, to, to give you the job. I can get any American assistant any day of the week, but I want you. And I said, look, I'm going to have to think about it. He said, yeah, yeah, there's no stress. I give you 24 hours. I was like, thanks. <laughs> thanks very much for that. <laughs> he gave you a whole day to think about <laughs> Exactly. It. And following the phone call, I went back to Cricket's yard, and she was sat in the office, and I walked in. She had a big smile on her face, and she said, I know what you're going to talk about, because he rang me. And I said, what do you think I should be doing? And, um, and she said, if I speak... As an employer to an employee, I want you to stay because you're doing great and you've really improved, you know, throughout the, the two and a half years. And obviously, I'd love you to stay. But if I speak from a mother to a son, then it's an opportunity you cannot, you, you cannot miss. So go. And so you didn't need any other <laughs> That was it. Yeah. Still hard to leave? <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's amazing. Yeah, I've had a. I did literally start with with nothing or not much, but I've got to admit that I've been fortunate. You know, the doors, the right doors, have always opened. I have worked hard for it too, but um, and obviously, the harder you work, the easier it gets. But um, I, I have been fortunate for the right doors to open. I mean, I know Richard Mandela a little, obviously nowhere near as, as, as well as you. It, it strikes me he's a, he's a man of exacting standards. He's not someone who is factory training. He is trying no. to train the very best horses. Yeah. Almost a, almost a boutique trainer. Yes. That's what I'm trying to do too. Um, you know, try and keep your numbers reasonable and do the best job you can with, with each horse you have in training. He was a master, or he still is, obviously a master of his art. Um, he's been a bit more quiet in the last few years, but as Cricket used to say, uh, a trainer is only, is, is only as good as the horses he trains. And uh, if you have a lack of quality amongst the yard, you're not going to achieve much. Mm. But he used to, to be 
or he still is, <laughs> should I say, uh, a master of, of targeting races. Mm. He's, a ve he's very, very good at placing his horses, you know. And that's also one thing I've learned with Cricket Head. She said, um, one day she asked me, we were on the gallop, and she, and she said, uh, when do you think you're winning your races? And I was the boy at the time. And I said, well, obviously, you know, by being on the gallops every morning and, and see the evolution of, of each horse every day. And she said, yeah, but that's not the main thing. The main thing is being in the office and look for the right races. You can train them as well as you can. If they're in the wrong races, you won't win. So that is the, the advice you took in terms of tar finding the target and then working backwards from the target, yes. however many steps it took yeah. to get there. Yeah. Yeah, we always try and and, and, and target races with, uh, you know. So so sometimes, you know, it's it's on a three week span. Sometimes six months, or a year. You know, when you have a really good horse like Don Citeria, mm. we always felt that he was a really really good horse. He just didn't have the strength. He just didn't have the power to make himself justice. So at that point, you just have to go slowly, slowly, and give him a chance to strengthen, keep him sound. You know, he could have had some very hard battles and we wouldn't have a horse now. So it's very important to just go slowly, slowly, to make them improve slowly until they have all the equipment to go and fight at the top level. And so you've, you've learnt, as I say, at the, at the feet of these very patient trainers, trainers of brilliance, trainers of group one animals, all about quality, cricket head, mm -hmm. Richard Mandela and John Dunlop, who we'll talk about a bit more in a, in a moment. How does that square with the demands on a modern trainer to get results for owners who want the results fast? It goes against the trend. And that's why I train 28 horses and not 150. It does go against the trend. If people want... I had somebody on the, <clears throat> on the gallops with me this week and they said, um, you're not a trendy trainer, are you? I said, no, but I don't really care. I'm trying to do a good job. I said if you're cooking a, cooking a stew and you want a quick result, you're going to cook it 220 degree, degrees for an hour, it will be edible, no problem. If you want a really, really good stew and you cook it for 110 degrees for six hours, then it will fall off the bone and, and you will know what a proper stew sounds, uh, tastes like. That's me. I'm the six hours stew. A lot of trainers are probably in a quick hour stew. I'm coming for dinner at your house next mm -hmm. week. I'm just telling you that. More than week. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me this then. If somebody approached you and said, I've got five precocious, speedy juveniles for you to train, would you still back yourself to be able to do the sort of job that they want? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I don't mind training any horse, you know, any horse. I don't mind at all. Um, I will treat them as they should be treated. Obviously, if they show a lot of precocity and, and they're ready to, to battle early on in their career, of course I'll take them on. But so if, if somebody gives me a budget to go and buy horses, my preference will always be to go and buy some, some more backward two-year-olds to try and get some value for money and try and make them last and because that's where the money is you know the longer distance races mile plus mile two plus 
for your old players. I think that's where the, the proper money is. And that's how you can compete at the top level. I think it's very hard uh, financially to go and buy something that looks very sharp, something that really looks like a two. You will always pay more for that sort of horses than a tall, lanky, leggy type that will need time. So I think that's, that's, that's why we've been doing well, because by buying the, that sort of horses, you know that you hope that down the line, if they turn out to be decent horses, you will be able to compete at the top level without breaking the bank. You're, you're flying the flag for a, a part of the country that 40 years ago was one of the most successful parts of, uh, of this country in terms of producing good horses because mm -hmm. Ryan Price at Finden was training classic winners. And Guy Harwood from your base was training classic winners. And John Dunlop was training classic winners all within seven or eight miles of of one another, give or take. Uh, are you enjoying the idea that maybe you could you could put Sussex back on the map as a as a as a training centre for the, <laughs> for the for the top class flat horse? That's a very hard task. Uh, it is to to bear the whole of Sussex on my shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> we are just trying to do the best we can without any, you know, aspiration to carry the whole of Sussex on. But you, you but what I'm suggesting is you feel that you can train horses there just as easily as you can train horses in Lambourne or of Newmarket or big training centres. Of course you can. You know, you can train horses on Piccadilly Circus if you like. As long as you have the right material and, and, and do the right things with the horse. I don't think it does matter where you train. It's, it's a matter of, of making the horses improve and giving them time to, to, to reach the peak. I really don't think it matters where you train. As all those great names proved. Uh, how long were you with, with John Dunlop? Six years and one day. Six years, six <laughs> years and one day. Literally, yeah. And tell me about that experience, because different from being with a trainer who's at the very, very top of their game, because his career was, was coming to an end when, when you were with him. It's not a bad thing, because that's where um, I got the taste for handicaps. Um, you know, he was a master of, at you know training handicappers, and and uh, you know it's it's a long, slow process to uh, get a horse handicapped and and making make, making improve, uh, making the horse improve throughout the season. So um, I think that's where I got the taste for that. You know, I, I love training handicappers. Um, I think they're fun. Um, you know, you teach them slowly, slowly, and, and go up the ranks, and I think it's fantastic. And that's that's where I got the taste for training handicappers. I think, yeah. In France, you you do have handicappers, but uh, you know the good horses go through conditions races and, and obviously the pattern races. In England, you 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 can actually take a horse from a slow-ish rating to to the top level by going through the handicaps. It, it, it's quite... You say you're not a trendy trainer. Who knows? Six months from now, you might be the trendiest trainer out there. I think you're probably a bit trendier than you think you are. But in terms of what you say, it's not all fashionable because the fashion is to say it's much better everywhere else than it is here. The system is better in France than it is here. The prize money's better in France than it is here. Yet you, as a Frenchman with experience in a top-class French yard, are telling me that, actually, it's better here. 
I for you. So I, I'm not going to start the debate on prize, prize money in this country because obviously it's a lot worse than, than France yeah. and, and we all other know the nations. Why. But I think the system is a very good system. It's fun. I think it's fun. And yeah. you enjoy, and you that crucially, you've used the word fun. You're enjoying what you're doing, even though the yeah, work is look, hard. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, you've invited so uh, Mark Prescott before, and I'm sure he'd say the same. It's fun to to feel that you're ahead of of the handicapper, and and you know, by the way, you're going to place your horses. It's a bit of a yeah, catch me if you can at some point, and uh, yeah, it's exciting. And in terms of your your immediate aspirations for for the next year or two. Are you, are you someone who sets personal goals or not? No, not really. Um, I really don't. Um, as I've said, you only depend on the quality of, of, of your horses, you know, so uh, I don't set myself targets. No, I don't really. Um, we did literally start with, if, nothing, if not nothing, not much. Uh, we had four horses in the yard only two of them were were runnable and we had to you know get the ball rolling and uh, myself and, and my partner in life kim have worked extremely hard uh, and I, I don't know what tomorrow is made of you know and uh, i don't even know if i if i'll pass brexit <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, what happens <laughs> what 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 happens after the 31st of october who knows you're not you're not going to be a, a victim of Brexit, are you? I don't know. Who knows? Are you worried about it? Ah, it's at the back of my mind, yeah. Like, uh, I do feel like a Jew in 1933. <laughs> we'll wow. see. I just take it, you know, uh, with a pinch of salt at the moment and we'll deal with it when it comes. I'm not sure the politicians themselves know what's going to happen, so there's no point worrying about it. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel, Dubai.